0: I want to thank you for joining us once again as we continue on our study in the book of Romans. And uh, as we uh, do this verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans, we find ourselves here in Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1. Once again, we looked at verse 1 last week as we looked at the credentials of Paul. So we're going to look at that once again. And uh, at, at this time, we're going to look at the very last phrase of Romans chapter 1 in verse 1, uh, where the Apostle Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. And so we've looked at all of it so far, except for that very last phrase, the gospel of God. Now, uh, here it is in the very first verse of the book of Romans. You see that very important word gospel. And as it is a very important word, uh, it's interesting here that it's stated as the gospel of God. And as it's stated as the gospel of God, uh, there's a very important reason for that. It's very important reason why God calls it the gospel of God. Now, the word gospel is actually used 99 times in the New Testament. It's a Greek word, and the Greek word, it comes really in two forms. Uh, In one form, it comes uh, as the word gospel that uh, literally means the good news, and it also comes in the form of gospel as being the announcer of good news that we would call an evangelist today. So either the good news or the announcer of the good news. The gospel uh, here is called the gospel of God. But when we uh, look in the New Testament, we find that uh, the gospel is clearly about the person of Jesus Christ. It's about the person of Jesus Christ, and it's about the work of the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we recognize that, when we begin to understand that, we find uh, in uh, the book of Luke, the Bible, or the book of Matthew, rather, the Bible tells us there uh, that when the angel of the Lord came to Joseph in his dream, he announced to uh, Mary uh, that uh, she will bear a a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In other words, gospel is not used there in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, but that's what the gospel is all about. It's about the saving work of Jesus Christ. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, we understand the the term gospel is used in many day, many ways. The term gospel as being the good news uh, is used in many ways throughout the New Testament. We find in the New Testament, uh, the Bible uh, calls it in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, the gospel of grace, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, and also in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, it's called the gospel of the kingdom, and uh, also we find in ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15 we find the gospel of peace revelation chapter 14 verse 6 it's the eternal gospel uh, but however the the gospel is clearly rooted in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as mark introduces the gospel he specifically calls it to the gospel of Jesus Christ the son of god but here it is that paul introduces the book of romans as the gospel of god and so as we look at this as the gospel of God, as he introduces that, uh, you go on down in Romans chapter 1 in verse 9, he said, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as as to unceasingly I uh, make mention of you. And so when we look at that, Paul then refers to that later as the gospel of his son. It's also interesting that in Romans chapter 6, Sixteen in verse twenty-five, uh, the apostle Paul says that uh, he says now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. He calls it his gospel. But I want you to understand. Paul knew exactly who the gospel was about. Paul knew who the gospel was centered in, and as the person of Jesus Christ, he. Says, he. simply stated it as his gospel, as that is the message that he is preaching. That is the message that he has been called to preach. And so as we recognize that that is the message that he is preaching, that is the message that he's called to preach, even in the context of Romans chapter 16, when he calls it my gospel in verse 25, he says, my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to what? According to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret Secret for long ages past. So it is a revelation of the mystery uh, that has been kept secret. Now it's no longer a mystery. Now he says so many times, I unfold to you the mystery. I deliver to you a mystery. I give you this mystery. So this mystery is now no longer a mystery. It is now made readily available to all of us. And that is as he introduces here the gospel of God. He says in verse 26 of Revelation of Romans chapter 16, but now is manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to the obedience of faith. And so when we look at this, We look at this and understand even here he is claiming it to be and declaring it as the gospel of God, even though he doesn't use that term. But God has given to us now the revelation of the mystery of his son, Jesus Christ, and is now making it known to all of the nations. Verse 27 of of Romans chapter 16, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ by the glory, uh, be the glory forever amen and now when we get back to Romans chapter 1 and as he calls it the gospel of God he very quickly begins to tell us why this is the gospel of God yes it is about the Son. And yes, Jesus is God. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We find that in John chapter 1 and verse 1 very, very clearly. So Jesus is God. There's no doubt about that. But here is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in Trinitarian form have now released the mystery of the gospel. It is referred to as the gospel of God. So he goes on in verse two, and he tells us he tells us something very interesting. No, this is not the apostles, uh, the apostle Paul's gospel. No, this isn't a group of men that have uh, gathered together and come up with a new idea and a new religion and a and, and and new teachings, new doctrines. No, this isn't the latest and greatest teaching of the first century. Uh, the gospel is nothing new. The gospel was nothing new. In fact, he says there in verse two. Of Romans chapter one, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he goes on right here, and he says, "This is this is the gospel of God. This is nothing new. This is." Is what he has promised all along. All the way from the very beginning we find the gospel declared all the way in the very beginning in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, at the fall of man, there's given to man a promise that there's going to be one that is going to come and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to be the Savior. Now that's very unclear for those who may only have the book of Genesis, but as the Old Testament Testament gets closer and closer and closer to the time of the coming of the Messiah, the picture of who he is, the picture of his role, the picture of what he's going to do is going to be more and more and more clear. And so as we look at that, Moses wrote the book of uh, Genesis, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, and there's many prophecies uh, within that text of Scripture that talks about the coming of the Messiah and the Messiah. And so, those prophecies of the first five books of the Bible, we would consider Moses then to be a prophet. And so, as we would consider Moses to be a prophet, we also see David. Uh, David gives to us in the Psalms, he gives to us many prophecies of who Jesus Christ is, of what Jesus Christ is going to do, very clear prophecies of who Jesus is. Solomon gives to us some promises and some prophecies of who Jesus Christ is. Are we not just see those who we refer to as proper uh, prophets like Isaiah and Amos and Joel and, and, uh, and all of the other prophets that we find in the Old Testament. Really and truly, the entirety of the Old Testament is pointing us to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so what we find here is that this is nothing new. He says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so as Jesus had been promised all along, all the way from the very beginning, all the way, even at the beginning in the Garden of Eden, in that picture of Christ, the shadows that we find of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament couldn't make out who he was exactly, but they become clearer and they become clearer and they become clearer. And they were all written down and they were all perfectly preserved in the Holy Scriptures as the Apostle Paul says there in Romans chapter 1 and verse 2. And so as he says this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 2, the Holy Scriptures, that's referring to the Old Testament, the New Testament, as Paul was writing this letter uh, to uh, the church of Rome and uh, some of the books of the New Testament had already been written by this point. Some of them hadn't been written by this point. So basically the New Testament was still in the process of being written, so he's talking about the Old Testament uh, right here, and the Old Testament perfectly points to who Jesus Christ is. Now, today, now that we have the, the New Testament, we need to look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, and even today, when we look at the New Testament, we ought to look at the New Testament through the lens of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament hasn't been done away with, even though the New Covenant has come, even though... Christ has come, the one who has been promised beforehand through His prophets and the Holy Scriptures. We certainly still need the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus used the Old Testament, and we find uh, in the Word of God. We find in Luke chapter twenty-four after Jesus's uh, after Jesus's resurrection, there was absolute chaos going going on that day, and two men were walking home from Jerusalem on the on the road uh, on the way to Emmaus, and as they were walking along, a man uh, who was Jesus, but they didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus uh, hid the revelation of who he was to them, so they didn't recognize who Jesus was, and so when uh, they walked alongside him, the Bible tells us that Jesus began it says, beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. Now later, Jesus did reveal that it was truly him, and they were just blown away by that. But boy, I would love to hear what Jesus had to say to these two men on the road to Emmaus as he unfolded the uh, the, the the Old Testament scriptures, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets. He explained to them all of the th- third concerning himself. What did he use? He used Moses and all of the prophets. He used the Old Testament. Uh, That's what Jesus used. And so when we recognize this, we see that he was promised beforehand. When we recognize the fact that he was promised beforehand, we see in Matthew chapter 1 and uh, beginning in verse 1, we see here it says, "...the record of the genealogy of Jesus." the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So all the way back, all the way back to the, from the very beginning, God was at work. And as God was at work, he was at work bringing about his son for the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies, for the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament scriptures, that the son was going to come and he was going to be the savior of all of the world. Matthew chapter 1 in verse 22 says this. It says, uh, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. All of this took place for that very specific reason to fulfill uh, what was spoken by the prophets. Jesus is the absolute perfect fulfillment of those Old Testament prophets no one else could be the Messiah no one else could be the Christ no one else could be the fulfillment of the son of David and the son of Abraham the one who was promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 or he's going to be a blessing to every nation he's going to be a blessing to everyone so nobody else could fulfill that the promise that uh, uh, the son of David David was going to come and he was going to have an everlasting kingdom and he wasn't going to suffer decay. No, he was going to live forever and ever and ever. No one could fulfill those promises. No one could fulfill those prophecies except for Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of each one of those things. And so as Jesus was born as a descendant of David, as the Bible says there in Matthew chapter chapter uh, 1 and verse 6 Jesus was the father of David the king David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba who he had uh, been who had been the wife of Uriah and so Jesus was was the one and only who could fulfill all of these prophecies and so as Jesus fulfilled every single one of these prophecies he is the one again Romans chapter 1 and verse 2 which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, those Holy Scriptures being the Old Testament. Verse 3 says concerning his son. Now, this was concerning his son. This was concerning the person of Jesus Christ because it could be nobody else. It could be no one else. Other than Jesus Christ concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. So according to the flesh, he was born as a descendant of David. And verse four says, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so he is the son of David according to the flesh. But according to the Spirit, he is the Son of God with power. And so only Jesus is the Son of God. Only Jesus is the virgin born. Only Jesus can declare that he is the virgin born Son of God. And so he is the Son of God declared with power as demonstrated through the resurrection. And he is also born into the flesh as the Son of David, ultimately born through mary the virgin who gave birth to a child and this was jesus and this was jesus alone this is the gospel of god because god and god alone is at work now Question that we need to address here in verse four. Again, verse four says, Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of Holiness? Jesus Christ our Lord. So question we have to ask here was Jesus only born as the Son of God? Was he not eternally the Son of God? Another question that we have to ask is Did He only receive acceptance as the Son of God after? The resurrection, because some people use verse 4 to teach that. Who is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead? And the answer to that is absolutely not. Jesus has always been the Son of God. Jesus always will be the Son of God. In fact, I've already said John chapter 1 and verse 1. I already quoted that a little while ago. I've quoted again. Uh, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. So the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 2, John chapter 1, he was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being that has not come into being. So this word that John is talking about said he was in the beginning. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of all. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so he's always been God. He was God before anything was ever created. Well, what about God? When was God created? God is eternal. God has never been created. God has always existed. I know that that is extraordinarily difficult for our human minds to uh, wrap themselves around, but that. That is absolutely accurate. And so this word who was with God, this word who was God, this word who was in the beginning with God, and this word who created all things and nothing was created apart from him, who was he? In verse 4, it says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. So in him, even in him, we have life. So who is this word? John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that in in the, and, and the word became flesh the word became flesh. God became flesh. Who is that? That is Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, and he dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw his glory. The Bible says that God will share his glory with none other. And so who has glory? God has the glory. God who became flesh. God who has always been God and he is the son of God and will always be God, but God who became flesh as a descendant of David. So no, Jesus wasn't just born into this world as the son of God, and Jesus did not be he did not become accepted as the son of God through his resurrection. That was simply a demonstration that he truly is with power the Son of God and so with that power came about his resurrection Now he had no sin the wages of sin is death and since the wages of sin is death and he had no sin sin uh, death had no claim on him death had no hold upon him so through the power of God and his sinless nature he was raised up from the dead how? Remember, this is the gospel of God we're talking about. We're talking about the hand of God the Father, the Father being the Father of Jesus, the Son of God, which is Jesus. Also, He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. The Spirit of holiness. So, what is the Spirit of holiness? The spirit of holiness, there's differing opinions on it. Some say that this is the Holy Spirit. And you can certainly hold that in context here with the fact that here it is being talked about as the gospel of God. And so certainly... He would be the Holy Spirit, right? And some people say, well, no, this is not the Holy Spirit that is being referred to as uh, the spirit of holiness right here. It's talking about the holy nature and the holy character of Jesus Christ. Now, both of these could be correct, and both of these could be very viable uh, right here within this text of Scripture. Absolutely, the Holy Spirit uh, was at work in the life of Jesus Christ through the anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, at Jesus' baptism. And the Bible very clearly tells us that uh, Jesus was raised uh, from the dead uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we also understand that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So we, we understand, yes, the power of the Holy Spirit was at work, and yes, jesus had a spirit of holiness jesus was absolutely holy in every way shape and form and it ends up with saying jesus christ our lord jesus christ our lord again it's all about jesus it's all about the person of jesus christ that's what the gospel is all about all about jesus Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, verses 1 and 2, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom we also have been, uh, through whom also he made the world and so we see uh that very clearly here in that text of scripture it kind of sounds a lot like what Paul was saying there in uh in, in uh, Romans chapter 1 doesn't it uh, as we take a look at that text of scripture and we also find in uh, Philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2 uh beginning in verse 5 it says this and says uh, uh "'Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, "'who, although he existed in the form of God, "'did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, "'but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant "'and being made in the likeness of men. "'Being found in the appearance as a man, "'he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, "'even death on the cross.'" So what is that telling us right there? What that's telling us right there, it's telling us that Jesus, who is God, who is 100% God, became man. And as Jesus, who is God, became man, he then humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why did he do that? For the gospel. To save you and to save me. To save whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. To save those who are lost and dying in their sins. He lived a sinless life. So that when we come to him as the Savior, we know he lived a life that we could not live. He perfectly fulfilled the law. He died on the cross and he shed his blood apart from the redemption apart from the shedding of blood. There'd be no redemption of sin. He died and he was buried in that tomb. And three days later, he rose up from the grave as the first fruit of the resurrection, knowing that those who place their faith and their trust in him, he shed his blood for the remission of sin, their faith in Jesus would cleanse them from all sin, and their sin would be removed as far as the east is from the west. And they, too, will rise again because Jesus rose again, because Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He didn't do it for himself. Listen, Jesus didn't go through all of that for himself. He didn't need to. He was God. He is perfect in every single way. Why did he do it? He did it for us. He did it for you, and he did it for me. Jesus truly is perfect. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 says, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Absolutely, the spirit of holiness would apply to Jesus Christ. No doubt about it whatsoever. Only he could fulfill all of these prophecies, and only he could be the Savior of the world. No one else could do it except for Jesus Christ. So if you're placing your faith and your trust in anything else, anyone else, friends, that faith is invalid. We must place our faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone the same time, if we're proclaiming any other gospel, the Apostle Paul said, if we're proclaiming any other gospel, let us be accursed. Even if he did it, he said, let them be accursed. Even if an angel proclaimed another gospel, let them be accursed. Why? Because that's a false gospel. The gospel needs to point to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So if we know Jesus Christ, we need to take that precious gospel and we need to proclaim that the mystery has been unfolded. That the whole world needs to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. If you're lost in your sins today, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you, will not, you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that only Jesus can save you. Because only he fulfilled the prophecies. Only he was the acceptable sacrifice to shed his blood, to die, and to raise up again three days later. Not only was he the only one who could do it, but friend, he did do it. That is the gospel. That is the good news, the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ.